Thank you for listening to our Chat Canna broadcast. This podcast was originally created for our YouTube channel and is being rebroadcast here for your convenience. We'd like to thank the folks at Canna RHX for providing this Chat Canna podcast. And good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, a significant day in my calendar year. I hope it is for you, too. And as part of that, this will be our last show for uh, this week, because tomorrow, uh, although we are going to be just three, yesterday I said we might be four, but in discussions last night, we decided the safest for everyone, our little bubble, and uh, everyone else's little bubble, that we were not going to mix bubbles tomorrow. And uh, we are taking this extremely serious uh, for all the people concerned, not just for us. And uh, so we will be a bubble of three tomorrow, my son and daughter-in-law who here live here in my big house, and myself. But I am making a full-on Thanksgiving uh, dinner. Either way, we love leftovers, so hey, it will be, that, will be, that part will be wonderful. And uh, I think the only thing we might not be making is the green bean casserole, but we might make that too. We have all the fixings for it. Uh, so... We hope that wherever you are, uh, that you will reach out to family and friends uh, digitally. I'm going to have my computer and a camera in the kitchen. And as I'm cooking, I intend to try and reach out uh, to everybody. Every time there's a little break, I'm going to make another call, hopefully a video call, and uh, try and celebrate Thanksgiving in that way uh, so that all the people that we could uh, be at, typically for me, it's uh, going to my cousin's house about three miles away, um, and they throw a big Thanksgiving. There's usually about 20 people there, um, and it is a joyous celebration. And it has been for 25 years. This is 2094, 26. Uh, this would be since I came back here to the family farm. Uh, and it, that that time, 26 years ago, all of the people that were one level up for me, my parents, cousin Ron's parents, uh, his wife, Julie, their, her parents, uh, and others of that generation were also included in that. And then, of course, as the years went by, one was missing, and then two, and then three. And my mom uh, in 05, my dad in 10. And uh, there is now no one left. And even Cousin Ron has now passed on. So the cycle has been changing, but we have been keeping it all together. And there has been massive uh, family. And of course, as the top has been leaving us, there has been more from the bottom. Julie now has 12 wonderful grandchildren, some of who are driving. And so you can just pass it off as the circle of life. But it's, to me, way, way, way more than that. It is just an unbelievable uh, observation now that I'm going to be 70 of uh, how blessed we really are uh, to live here in the Red River Valley and to uh, be in agriculture. I think that agriculture is something that holds us all together in one way or another. And uh, now in these last years to be in the hemp business for myself and uh, my extended family, my business partner, uh, certainly more than just, you know, 
at arm's length business partners. Um, our families are uh, close and uh, involved also. And so lots of Christmas presents to buy, but I sure don't mind that at all. All right. Our story today, this is Have You Heard? So it's a short day on Wednesday. And just a reminder, no show tomorrow. But of course, we will be back on Monday with our last show of November. And then we start the countdown to Christmas. Where has the year gone on the one hand? And how could this year take so long on the other? Um, the Des Moines Register has put out an incredible story about hemp, because it was the first legal year for our friends down there. And uh, boy, they're just talking about uh, the big thing, of course, what does too hot mean, as they are writing to uh, their audience and really talking about hemp uh, for the first time for many of them. And so too hot. And I hate doing the mini me, putting it in quotes, but that's uh, how they did it. The level of THC, the psychoactive component cannabis plants exceeding state and federal limits. And she talks about one of the farmers who uh, his first hemp crop went up in smoke. And uh, we burnt one of our fields, not, not in the field, but afterwards, um, not because it was too high in THC, it passed all the tests. But um, if you remember last year in October, or before October, it was a glorious fall. It was just absolutely beautiful. And we left it in the field too long, uh, thinking that we had plenty of time. And all of a sudden came eight inches of rain and the water stood and was standing. It just didn't have a place to go because we never expected eight inches of rain on what had been a, a hog pasture from 1961 and all the way back to 1919. Um, and it was just gentle land that uh, had absorbed any kind of water that had been put on it before, but never eight inches. And then when that water was still standing on it, the big snowstorm came and pushed all of the bottoms of the plants down into it. Uh, we had gotten about 125 plants off of the 900 or so that were there before that happened. They were awesome. They were just great. Um, but... As the days went by and we pumped off the field and the snow abated a bit, well, pretty good, actually, it went away. And we got guys out there and we harvested it and we hung it in the in our one of our quonsets. And we just watched it through the year. But we kind of knew as the winter went by, it just wasn't anything we'd be proud of and want to sell. And so one day last spring, we took it out in the middle of the yard and piled it high and lit a match to it. And there was a lot of BTUs of energy in it. It was a big fire, a big, hot, fast burning fire. It was amazing. It was amazing. Nearly 90 licenses in Iowa this year had to, uh, had to burn their crops. And that's really sad. Uh, we have to get some way to get hemp that just does not go above this magic number of 0.3, one-third about of 1% of THC. Now, to put that in beer terms, you know, typically beer, American beer, is about 5%.
But in a lot of grocery stores, you can buy what's called near beer. And that is, you know, like 0.1 or 0.2% beer because they just can't get the last little bit of alcohol on it. A lot of products, by the way, have alcohol in them um, that you buy and cook with. A vanilla has a lot of alcohol in it, um, but you'd have to drink a lot of vanilla. You'd be sick before you got anything out of that. Um, but there's lots of products that have some alcohol in them. So near beer is available. You can buy it. You still, I, I don't know if you have to be of age to buy beer in the grocery store that's near beer. I don't know what the laws are on that. Uh, but you can buy it. And people buy it uh, because they don't want, they want the taste of beer at a picnic and they don't want any alcohol. Pregnant ladies uh, want it. And of course, they are respecting the, the no alcohol uh, during pregnancy thing, which is a good thing. Um, but we need no THC hemp. And they are breeding that up. And some breeds are really good now. We did some testing the other day and the THC level was almost nil. But some strains are not. And then it depends on how you raise it, how long you leave it in the field, what kind of moisture it had, what kind of sunshine it had. The combination of all of these things also will determine where the THC level goes. This is all being worked on, but unfortunately, some farmers just had the luck of the draw and the bad things in it. So it's really too bad. Iowa farmers planted about 680 acres last year, this last year, now this one that's finishing, and they hope to get on it because it is a $5 billion market and it's going to grow yet over the next years. I think it's going to grow a lot. So it's backbreaking hand weeding, as they're saying. Uh, we, of course, up here are trying to move toward regular farming of it with combines and planters and everything like that. But we've talked about the every plant named and numbered kind of thing. And that's pretty much what they did uh, down in Iowa. Um, they're talking about a lot of insect problems down there. And then, of course, it was an oversaturated market. Actually, it wasn't. I think that's a wrong term. Uh, I don't think it was oversaturated. It was about connecting growers to end users. I think end users wanted to buy it, but they weren't interested in buying you know, a leader here and a leader there. there we've got to get that that connection yet. Um, a Clear Lake farmer. I know about Clear Lake. That's an interesting town. Um, I have radio connections back to that, and I don't know if you remember, but Clear Lake, um, isn't that where uh, on the, the show MASH, isn't that where... Uh, um, what's his name was from the guy that the second in command, not command, but the guy that took care of the, the bosses on there. Anyway, um, he was a new hemp farmer. He said the experiment was exhilarating. It was fun learning about a new crop, a lot more than he thought was going to have to happen. Uh, he does see hemp as a way of diversifying his, uh, his land. And of course, uh, helping with the state's 22 million acres of corn and soybeans, you know, down there, that's all it is. It's corn, then it's soybeans. It's corn, then it's soybeans. It's corn, then it's soybeans. And they use Roundup uh, ready crops. So the, the, as you drive by the fields, it's absolutely pure. It's, it's beautiful on the one hand because, you know, other than kosher, which I don't know if it's caught on down there, it's a plant that is also Roundup ign ignorant. It doesn't, it's not bothered by Roundup. 
Um, so up here we see it in our sugar beet fields. Uh, but other than that, man, those fields are just black dirt and corn or soybeans. So it, you know, it looks like they're perfectly manicured and somebody went out and pulled every weed. That, of course, uh, can't happen with hemp because we cannot put on any pesticides, fungicides, herbicides, or anything like that with hemp. Uh, so that's just off, off limits to put anything on there. And of course, no Roundup can get anywhere near any kind of hemp fields. So the state doesn't exactly know how much hemp was actually harvested, uh, but of course, 13% of it had to be fully partially destroyed because it went hot. And uh, that's what they know for sure. Um, this gentleman we're just talking about uh, said that he believes his plants spiked, went over the level because they got stressed, fighting against weeds that were around them. Uh, they were fighting for sunlight and nutrients. Um, and he was three times over. So he was about 1% hemp. And he said it was a big letdown. Um, they're still deciding if they're going to do it again next year. As he says, everything grows well in the Iowa soil. And uh, so this is a big a big problem. And uh, they've got a, 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 a picture here showing them burning their hemp fields and it was just exactly as it was with us it burns fast and it burns hot um this is just a problem this is just a problem um now this is an interesting thing here and I, i'm just really curious what this guy did um he had 600 plants uh that was probably a half an acre easily you could put 600 plants on a half an acre and give them each 12 or 15 square feet um, and it says he hand sprayed them twice a week with a pesticide until they began flowering. I would tell you he didn't do that um, unless he had something organic. He might have sprayed them with a, an oil from another plant, but he did not spray them with a pesticide. So I'm guessing that whoever wrote this article wasn't listening well. And uh, he might have said that he sprayed them with, a, with an oil from another plant that acts like a pesticide. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, it took 10 people, two weeks to hand harvest the crop, you know, think about it. Uh, so that means it took one guy two weeks to hand harvest 60 plants. This is not a way that hemp is going to become a crop across the United States. So it took one guy, it took 10 guys, two weeks to do 600 plants, it took one guy then two weeks to do, uh, 60 plants. So it took one guy one week to do 60 plants. So it took one guy one day to do um, 12 plants. We got to get down there. We got to talk to these fine folks, show them they can do it a little faster. That's amazing. Because when we harvested, um, we, we brought in uh, 500 plants in about six hours three guys and me. I was running the Polaris. One guy was out there chopping because the, the stalks on the, on the plants were about this big around at that time. And he had a hatchet. He had a hatchet. We tried a variety of things. Uh, we had a hatchet left over from when we had chickens and the hatchet had a blade where my thumbs are the sharp edge of the blade. Um, but it was about a six inch blade made for chopping chickens if you know what I mean. 
and it had a pretty long handle on it. And he would get bend over, take the, the stock, and one, two, three, and that plant was free. And he just laid it over then. And he went to the next one. And he never stood up. He just stayed bent over. And he was chopping. And then I had two guys. Um, one guy would come with me to the Quonset and unload. And one guy would, wait a minute, nope. So then there was one guy in the field that was gathering them together. I would bring the ranger around and we would put them in the back of the ranger. I would drive the ranger to the Quonset and then the guy and I there would put them in the Quonset. So I was going back and forth. But in about six hours, we did 500 plants. So either they were kid gloving this way too much. Anyway, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. That's what's happening down in Iowa. Um, uh, interesting time down there. Uh, I wish that this thing that's going around, this disease, would be over because I would like to get in my car. I would like to go down. I would like to talk to these guys. I would like to see what they're doing. Uh, I would like to uh, just learn from them and learn their ways and uh, maybe share a little bit of what we're doing if they're interested. Uh, uh, they're talking down there, of course, that this guy has heard about farmers that have two or three years of harvest. Uh, you, he says you can't take it to the local elevator to sell, and uh, he's not going to put a seed in the ground until he has a contract to sell it. So that's some news from down in Iowa, their first legal year last year. Um, I'm telling you, I still believe in the crop more than I have yet. The people that I talk to, um, some of the farmers out there are unsure, and I understand their unsurety. And that's a new word, isn't it? But I believe that we have an industry and a market here that's going to do something. But you must proceed with caution and know what's going on and be prepared for any alternative. And from there, we will go forward in 20 years from now. I will not be here, but the young guys will be able to look back and say we were part of a new and exciting industry, just as the sugar beet farmers did 80 and 100 years ago, just as the sunflower guys did starting back in 1960, and the soybean guys since then up in the Northern Valley here, and the canola guys, it was called rapeseed back then, now called canola. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time being agriculture. It is an exciting time of the year. I wish you nothing but a happy Thanksgiving. Please stay in your little bubble. Let's meet up again on Monday. We'll talk more of Chat Canna and have you heard. In the meantime, I wish you nothing but a blessed Thanksgiving.